0: This is the Employee Experience in Education podcast, the teacher retention podcast for school leaders, and I'm your host, Eric Brainstetter. In this podcast, we'll speak with educational leaders, former educators, and industry experts to better understand the employee experience in education. Our goal is to equip school leaders with realistic and actionable strategies to keep more teachers in the classrooms. On this episode, we'll speak with Michael Harris, Senior Director of Talent Management at Milwaukee Public Schools. Michael is an educational leader engaged in the work to recruit high quality talent to urban school districts to ensure that all students have equal access and opportunity with licensed teachers and support staff. Today, Michael will share why new hire onboarding processes during their first 100 days are critical to retain new staff. Michael also shares how they collect new higher input data during these first 100 days, the balance between streamlining the onboarding process with individual school and teacher needs, and the key to unlocking powerful and positive relationships with students and parents. All right, Michael, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to have the conversation with you. It's been a while since we connected last. You and I know each other outside of the podcast world, so it's great to connect with you. And I'm excited to hear about the work you're doing for onboarding, new teachers, new hires. But before we get to that, can you talk a little bit about yourself and why you decided to become an educator?
1: Sure. Well, Eric, thanks again for having me on today. Um, greatly appreciate it. But yeah, you know, here... Um, Uh, here in Milwaukee, there was a great need for uh, teachers of color. Uh, Back in the day, I would say back in the day, 1997, I believe it was, uh, is when I first started here in Milwaukee Public Schools. And at the time, there was an organization that was looking to recruit teachers of color, specifically males, to work in our middle schools here in Milwaukee Public Schools. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, not that I had thought about teaching... Um, but, of course, throughout my adult life, always finding myself doing some type of teaching or providing some type of professional learning uh, to individuals. And so um, they recruited some uh, individuals from the city, and uh, I worked at Lincoln Center Lincoln Center of the Arts uh, Middle School, where I taught 7th and 8th grade students, and, uh, you know, 25-plus years later, Um, I still hold relationships with those students, their families. Uh, You know, education is a powerful tool, and so when you can get in there and actually work with your kids and, you know, inspire them to be their very best, uh, it's so rewarding. So that's been my journey, but of course I taught, I served as an assistant principal, Uh, in Milwaukee Public Schools, but also worked in some of the outlying suburban areas, such as Menominee Falls and Mequon-Thingsville, and uh, returned back to Milwaukee Public Schools to serve as principal of my alma mater, where I went to high school, which was definitely uh, the most rewarding work I've ever done, uh, to go back to where WHERE TEACHERS GAVE ME AN OPPORTUNITY TO LEARN AND GROW AND TO EXPRESS MYSELF AND THINGS OF THAT. Um, AND SO uh, MOVING ON FROM THERE, I'VE NOW JOINED THE RANKS OF SENIOR DIRECTOR OF TALENT MANAGEMENT HERE FOR MILWAUKEE PUBLIC SCHOOLS BECAUSE I THINK IT'S IMPORTANT THAT WE HAVE A LENS ON THE TYPE OF uh, INDIVIDUALS WE WANT TO WORK IN OUR ORGANIZATION THAT CAN REALLY IMPACT STUDENTS AND REALLY WANT TO COLLABORATE WITH THE COMMUNITY AND THE FAMILIES IN WHICH WE SERVE.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. And I know you have spent a lot of time recently, especially on onboarding. And that ranges from cultivating interested candidates all the way through interviewing, and then their first 100 days. What did you what did you notice that made you realize recruiting and onboarding are the employee experiences that really need your focus?
1: Yeah, so, you know, in HR, we engage, right? We, when we go out and recruit, they, we are the face, we're the voice of the organization. And so for us, it was important to really make sure that uh, where we're sending uh, these employees, these new recruits, that the experience is very similar, and so we are a large urban school district, and based on data collection um, from employees that have left the organization, right, or even those that have st- are still here, there's a varied experience um, from each of these candidates. Um, and so we have some really good departments and schools that do a really good job of onboarding, and we have some schools and departments that really need some additional supports. And we know if we can keep a person in the organization through those first 100 days, that we are pretty confident that they will be able to expand or meet and complete their first year of employment with us. So that's why the first 100 days for us is important. And what we're, what we're looking and our goal is strictly to ensure Regardless of the zip code in which your school is located, regardless of the department that you're working in, your experience as far as meeting your basic needs, making sure you have what you need in order to do your job successfully, should not vary from department or school. You should have the resources. You should have the um, the know how. the The who's who in the department or in the school to ensure that you have the tools and resources to do the work that we're asking you to do.
0: Yeah. So did you have any data on 100 days? How, how did that number come to be? Because I'm imagining, you know, I think about schools like quarters, you know, first nine weeks, second nine weeks and so on. You have 100 days. How did you, how did you track that data? How did you determine that was the magic number for you?
1: We looked at our resignation data. Actually, Eric, um, so we focused on resignation data. And if we had the number of resignations we had between zero and 100 days. So we were really looking at semesters. And our semesters are broken up by 90 days. Uh, But typically, you know, folks are kind of generous and they will wait until that new year or that new semester. Uh, But that's where we really kind of came up with the 100 days. And so we really wanted to make sure that we, as an organization and this is really key eric is that it wasn't waiting until the 100 days but we're actually collecting input from them for the first 10 the first 30 the first 60 the first 90 so that we know how we're doing right so now we will have these we have these metrics in place to really kind of monitor and let us know where we're doing really well and also identify areas that we might need to improve right away, right? So it's real-time information. It's 30 days in. Oh, wait, I see a red flag in this particular area. How do we provide that support to that department leader or school leader to ensure that this employee is receiving what they really need to be successful? So it's not waiting for the 100 days. It's actually monitoring up to the 100 days to ensure that their experience is aligned with what we expect in our district, regardless of department or school.
0: Mm -hmm. So what what I heard from you is teacher retention, that's the key, right? Looking at how do we retain staff? Are there any kind of ancillary, second-order benefits you get from the first 100 days? Or has it been, I'm narrowly focused on, because I know urban districts in, in, in general are having a hard time right now keeping their teachers. Teacher retention rates are are extremely low. Is it very much focused on retention for you, or is there something else as well?
1: No, it's retention. We know we know that to build those relationships with students and families, we need consistent staff in the classroom and or in the schools and or in the departments. Right, the department supports everything that happens in our schools. So if the department leaders are, if there's high turnover and they're not staying. Well, that makes a disruption in the types of supports that are being provided to the schools. So we want to make sure that, I mean, our focus is retention. We provide uh, feedback and observations and things like that. We want to make sure that we're helping people grow to get better at what they're doing, recognize good talent and good teaching and learning when it's taking place. But for us, it's about really making sure that we don't disrupt the relationships. We know that young people or students need an adult that they can relate to, that they can build relationships with, that they can communicate with. And so for us, it's really about If you're happy, if the teacher's happy, then that means the kids are happy, which means the parents are happy. And so I think if we improve our employee experience throughout our district, that we will see better gains in the retention efforts. Right now, you know, and this is uh, our first year really diving into this. So I can be very frank and honest about 50% of the data that I just pulled recently focuses on around uh, my five-year trend is about 45% retention. My three-year trend right now is looking a lot better at 50%. However, the goal is to increase that to 85%, right? We know that there's going to be some attrition there uh, because of promotions, people moving away and things of that. But when it comes down to they're not uh, experiencing the types of support that they need in order to be successful, I want to close that gap. I want to make sure that if there is a, a need for support to help a person grow, uh, that we provide that in real time, uh, we're providing real feedback that they can actually go in and actually apply a skill, and we can provide them some feedback based on them implementing that skill in their practice. But um, you know, for us, I don't see people coming in without the will to want to get better. They just need the supports in place and the timely feedback to 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 get better, and I think that's where this employee experience is going to help us.
0: Yeah, and what what's fascinating. So the last podcast uh, interview I had was with Rebecca Carlisle. She's the assistant director of teacher retention at Gwinnett County Public Schools in Georgia, twenty three thousand employees, and she said four powerful words that I think I think forever changed me. And that is happy teachers don't quit. And what I just heard you say is a very similar version of that, but you extended that to say happy teachers make happy students, happy students make happy families. I'm also thinking through the lens of, you know, there's 33 percent less college enrollees now in education programs than there were a decade ago. A lot of the reason for that is the narrative in education is such that teachers don't recommend to their friends and family that they go into education right? Because their employee experience is so poor. You know, so many teachers are going to school and not being happy, leaving school, certainly not happy as well. So can you talk more about this idea of happy teachers make happy students? And then specifically with the onboarding process, what can you do to increase the happiness then of your teachers?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I appreciate you uh, aligning that work with, uh, uh, w- 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 I kind of followed them quite a bit to see what they're doing um, because you know in large urban districts I mean for me it's about I mean I take on, I put on my teacher hat right I put on my educator hat and so when I came in and I was excited about being with my kids right um, that excited me that made me excited about doing the work that I've uh, that they wanted me to do and so I think for us, I think, you know, um, and I don't want to get into the political pieces of things, but I think the mandated testing, right? Teachers are feeling like they're t- it's too scripted, right? You can't be your authentic self going into the classroom. I think all of the noise around culturally responsive practices and making sure that kids feel like they can connect to curriculum and 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 understand and have discourse around, you know, history and things that are happening. I think teachers are feeling restricted to what they can do, and that's not teaching. Teachers get into the profession to inspire, to spark an interest, to explore topics and items with young people to open up minds and say, can we look at different perspectives and to also respect those perspectives? And I think that's a frustrating piece. I hear that quite a bit, um, even though I do believe here in NPS specifically, our board members, our board of directors, our superintendent, they are open and and they in expect our teachers to engage uh, students in critical thinking practices and making sure that students have an opportunity to voice their opinions and their perspectives and and their, their backgrounds and their, you know, all of those pieces. So I do think here in Milwaukee Public Schools, we're not restricting our teachers to do that. But I think there is something to be said around, you know, how we how we fund schools right we have an old method of doing that therefore uh if we don't have the students in the building then that means you lack resources well that doesn't support teachers doing the work that we're asking them to do and i think Uh, We need to look at that. We need to change that because I know, and we need to recognize them. We need to recognize our teachers because without them, we would not be in the space that we're sitting in today, right, and many other people. And so I think the respectability needs to come back. We need to prioritize teachers, uh, definitely. It's not around salary and compensation. However, they need to be compensated more, right? Um, Teachers should not have to work part-time employment to make ends meet when they are engaged in educating young people. Um, But for us here in Milwaukee Public Schools, to keep teachers happy, let's provide them the autonomy to do what they need to do, which I like to sum up in one word, teach.
0: (laughs) Sure. Sure. It's fascinating hearing from so many different people on the podcast and so many different leaders talking about that very same thing is so many educators that we've talked to, former educators have said things like, you know, my principal doesn't listen to me. I'm, I'm micromanaged. You know, we hear about, I can't do my job because I'm too busy paying attention to what my principal or what my, my leadership team wants me to do instead of spending time developing relationships and really, you know, working with the kids, um, so I appreciate your sentiment on that and fully understand that. But on the, on the first 100 days, as you're planning that, as you're, as you're developing what the 100 days looks like for your first, for your onboarding of new hires, how did you kind of conceptually think about that? Cause you went from, here's the old process to vision casting, and here's what I want the new process to be. Can you fill in the gaps there? Was it you? Was it a team? How did you know what to do? What, what's that? What was that process for you?
1: Yeah, it was really. Um, thank you for that, Eric. I think for for me, it was really going back to um, I had read something with uh, the new teacher project and it focused on the hierarchy of needs for uh, any organization. Right. So if you have you're in an the organization, there's a hierarchy of needs. That if you're looking to improve one's experience, it should be kind of framed along this framework. And so what I did is based on that hierarchy of need, which starts with your basic needs, right, making sure that folks know the general uh, access to Things within the office, within the school, things of that nature. Talking about what are the clear expectations for your specific role. Not in generality, but your role specifically. What goals do you have for me as an educator coming into this school, working with my third grade group? Um, what are the types of supports that I need to ensure that I have all the tools, resources to perform well? Uh, do I have mentors? Where where do I go and how do I access all of this information? So I think that was really the format or the the framework in which I engage other educators, other administrators to say, this is what we're thinking around onboarding at the school level or in a department. So let's identify because it could be it's different for all of those areas. Let's identify what are the basic needs for Michael, myself, going into and I'll just use my alma mater, Riverside, in order to know and be able to function within that space. What are the basic needs of that? And so I ask school teams to kind of identify those basic needs for their individual schools or departments. And that kind of prompted the conversation to go in all of those other layers of the hierarchy to really kind of hone in and then plan accordingly, Eric. So, right, let's put this out on a calendar. How are you going to deliver this? What if it goes to virtual? Will there be a virtual component? How will people access this? When will it take place? Who's responsible for it, right? Who do I need to consult with to ensure that everything has been moving on? Is it just on the leader or the supervisor, or is this a team approach? So all of those conversations kind of came out of pulling a small team of leaders and teachers, social workers, guidance counselors, and some department leads in to just kind of brainstorm what are some of the basic needs you expect a new person that a new person would need to know and be able to do to come into the organization to be
0: successful. So then you have the conversations and you identify here some basic needs. So I'm guessing then your first 100 days is focused on those basic needs, right? It's here's the bathroom, here's all of this stuff. What about relationships and connections <clears throat> within the organization? How, how critical is that? Or how much have you spent time and focus and energy on building relationships for those new hires as well?
1: That's a great question. So part of the onboarding, right? So it's when that initial application is in, uh, the team that uh, are reviewing the applications, they see some folks that they really like. So at that point, Eric, the onboarding, that onboarding part starts. We call it the courting phase, right? So it's they've interviewed, they've applied, they've interviewed. Okay, they've interviewed. We have three top candidates. We're now going to assign someone from the team, the interview team, to reach out to all three candidates. We really like meeting you today. Uh, just wanting to make sure you have any questions for us. Um, You know, we're really looking forward to bringing someone dynamic onto our team. And based on your skill set, we're really excited that you've applied, right? So we're just courting them on to ensure that they know that we're still interested, highly interested, and we want to engage them in conversation. So even once the offer is made, there's a, a... email that is sent out or a phone call from a member on the team, just making sure that they have anything, any questions that they may have, just any thoughts, inviting them to a a meet and greet to just kind of meet the amend team or the support team. So it really starts early on before they are actually in the building, in the department, it starts before that. And so I think that really helps building of those relationships because now you're getting to know them. And some of the uh, prompts that we use in our guide uh, really speaks to getting to know them, right? Getting to know the employee, getting to know what their strengths, their, you know, their interests are, their family, their backgrounds and things of that.
0: Mm So you have, a, you have a guide then. Is that for school leaders to help make sure that these best-in-class processes are being run with consistency?
1: Yes. So we have um, a school and departments. We The guide that we've developed is really about, you can take this if you're the director of facilities and maintenance, that you can utilize the same resources that are outlined here, uh, changing the prompt, right? But really just picking up and utilizing that to assist keeping everyone engaged in the process.
0: Okay. So my mind, when I hear that, my mind goes to what's the sustainability behind this? And maybe it's because of my tech background. I'm not sure. But I, I think through, you know, I have a checklist. I have a guide that's, I don't know, five pages, 15 pages. It doesn't matter too much. How do you ensure that the things in the guide are actually being done because it, you spend so much time and energy on creating and ideating and, and having interviews with people saying this is what we believe in, how do you make sure that actually happens?
1: That's a great question. And part of what our metric or what we've uh, implemented is the uh, we do the pre uh, survey. So again, I mentioned earlier that we don't just wait till the hundred day, but our survey is geared around. Hey, did someone contact you during the application process? Does someone connect with you after the interview? Does someone so we're receiving this feedback so we know if we are hitting the mark or not? And if we're not hitting the mark, we can immediately address that and not wait until the 50th day or the 20th day. We know that right away. So the employees, after certain, after each phase, I'll, I'll use the word phase. There's a short survey that we will send to that applicant, to that candidate, to ask these very short couple of questions, because we want to know that someone from the team or the department reached out to you uh, after this interaction, and so that they can provide us feedback, and I think that's what's really going to drive the, the whole process, right? This immediate, timely feedback from the data collection.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've designed this this first hundred days with input from many different stakeholders, many different job classifications, and then did you create the guide based on that? It was was that kind of the next step of, of your process?
1: Yes. So, and the guide is just again, it's a it's a guide. So it's really focused around, hey, you're hiring a teacher, right? But it can be adapted to any department, whatever role they're hiring. If it's a food service assistant. All of these individuals we know now, right, it's an employee's market. And so those organizations that are reaching out and building connections and building relationships with these candidates early on and throughout the process are most likely going to come and join your team and within your organization. And that's what we're looking to create. We want to make sure that folks understand that we want them on our team. We like the skill set that they have, and we want them to come and join the team. And so we believe, based on this research that TNTP has done, we believe that if we engage these individuals throughout that process, so they've applied, we've contacted them, uh, they know that they've interviewed, we want to continue to interact with them, we know that if we continue to court them on until they step into the door day one, where we can now say, you're on our team, we can continue to do this up to 100 days we will, we know that we can be successful with that. And we know that those individuals will stay with us up to those hundred days and eventually beyond that.
0: Yeah. What What else happens in that first 100 days then? So I'm guessing there's some amount of instructional pedagogical support. Is that right as well?
1: Yes. So there's uh, the components really fall between your basic needs. Then it's the expectations, which um, sometimes we miss, right? We don't, clearly communicate what are those expectations. And then there's the um, community building. So there's a community component. So what we wanna do is make sure that there are embedded community building type activities throughout the entire process. Um, And then you have your uh, professional, uh, professional learning and then your supports. So throughout those five tiers, All of that is embedded throughout your first 100 days where you're building capacity, you're building relationships, you're making sure people understand the expectations because you can't just say it once, right? You need to repeat it, you need to keep saying it so everybody understands what the expectations are, but you also want to reinforce, again, all of the basic needs that we're providing you these tools, these resources so that you are successful in doing the work that we're asking you to do.
0: Yeah. And I know in the kind of the pre-interview questionnaire, you had mentioned a two-prong approach to support both the new hire and the school leader. And I, I fully understand, you know, supporting the, the new hire makes a lot of sense. But why do you put forth so much effort to also support the school leaders as well?
1: Yeah. So um, I may have mentioned that earlier, you know, we can assume. And like I said, we have uh, we have 158 uh, schools, right? And so, if um, you go to one school, that experience might be completely different than the other. And so, we need to make sure, and we can't just assume that everyone is coming with the the necessary tools and resources to do this work. So, we want to create more of an exemplar to ensure that any employee, again, regardless of zip code where the school is located or the department have a similar experience throughout our organization. And so in order to do that, we needed to have a guide, which is what we've created, right, to ensure that administrators, department leads, all have an understanding of what the expectation is for when we, HR, uh, deliver hand-off a new applicant, a new hire to their department or school. Because at that point, we've invested in those individuals, and we want to make sure that we're providing them with the basic needs and all of the other hierarchy areas to ensure that they can be successful in the work we're asking them to do.
0: So as, as school leaders are supporting their new hires, how involved are you? So from the design process, you were heavily involved in that. What does your ongoing day-to-day look like in terms of supporting both school leaders and the new hires?
1: HR picks up a lot of uh, different pieces, (laughs) that's for sure. Um, uh, Right now, I'm not uh, completely involved in any other professional learning. Uh, We are looking at providing uh, in-services to our new leaders Uh, and those that uh, regional superintendents here in Milwaukee Public Schools, we have regional superintendents that oversee their region uh, uh, leaders, uh, their school leaders. And so uh, one of the ideas is that we would then provide this – HR myself would provide this professional learning for any new administrator, school leaders coming into the district. However, we work closely with the regional superintendents to ensure they understand the guide, so that they can then facilitate those conversations with uh, tenured leaders in the building in in the district. Uh, we do host. Um, I'M WORKING WITH A SMALL COHORT OF PRINCIPALS RIGHT NOW, uh, AND THESE ARE MORE AT OUR HIGH-DEMAND SCHOOLS. Uh, WE'VE KIND OF FLIPPED THE SWITCH IN, uh, INSTEAD OF HIGH-NEED AREAS, WE'RE HIGH-DEMAND, AND SO I AM WORKING WITH THAT GROUP OF LEADERS TO REALLY HONE IN, BECAUSE THOSE TYPICALLY ARE THE SCHOOLS WHERE WE SEE THE MOST VACANCIES where we want to really improve the retention of licensed staff members there. And so we're really focusing on that particular group at this time, uh, but we expect, we expect to expand to all schools um, and departments. But, of course, with a large district, it, you know, bite size is best because then you can really hone in and ensure that folks have what they need.
0: Yeah. And what I'm curious, what have been your reflections so far? So you're, you're newly rolling out this onboarding process where you've been very intentional in design and application of it, what are some initial wins that you've had?
1: Well, um, I would say one potential potential win, uh, and it has been, I would actually say, is that the principals have received it well. They they see some value because, as a former principal, you know, once you're in that seat, it's a little, it's a different environment, right? And these are the things that you don't really think about or have the time to think about because you just need people in because students are coming in, families are calling. So you don't have the intentionality of really sitting down and thinking about the new person that is just out of college coming into a building And they've never done this before, right? I say this all the time. Education is the only profession where, you know, a first-year teacher is expected to do what a 25-year veteran teacher has done over a period of time, right? And so I think because the principals have been, uh, they've welcomed this approach to onboarding, it has allowed them to kind of sit and marinate and really think about, what it is like when they first walked into a classroom and had to do that work and really think about the things that they did not have that they wish they had. And so I think that's been uh, one of the biggest wins that I've experienced thus far, um, just because they have been very open to the process and um, engaging with me as such.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I remember sitting in the principal's chair and having new hires and just not, I, I knew I should be doing more, but the, so the a new teacher's needs are going to be much different than a seasoned veteran. And the new teacher's less likely to ask questions is less likely to raise their hand and say, Hey, I need help over here. I'm like, I'm not able to float right now. I'm drowning. And then lesson until, because so many principals put out fires all day long. And if that fire is not ra- right out in front of them, they're much less likely to spend time, attention, energy, talking to that new individual, even not intentionally, it's never an intention to do it. But to your point, there's so much that happens on a principal's day. It's hard to really set aside time and say, I'm going to really focus on this new teacher. Whereas having a guy that says, hey, here are the steps you need to be doing. And you know that we're going to be reaching out to the new hires, collect their, their feedback via survey. The accountability is there. And that's not scary accountability. It's this is important for us to understand how we're doing, how we're supporting our new hires. So I love the fact that you're bringing that focus back to the principals, because to your point, and you said 45% of teachers leave in the first five years, nationally, it's 44%. So you're right there with everybody else, about 25% in that first year. So we know if we can't find teachers to hire, the candidate pool is no longer a pool. It's maybe a mud puddle at times. So we can focus energy on recruiting but that's probably not the best bang for our buck. What we need to do is make sure that we create an environment where new teachers choose to stay. New teachers choose to stay in places where they're happy, which then to your point leads to happy students, happy families. So it's that first 100 days. It's really focusing on what can we do to make sure, how, how do we ensure success for our new teachers? And that's what you're focusing on. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, One other question before we get to kind of the wrap-up questions, you had mentioned before how you have different zip codes, different areas that have needs that are, are different than others. So your goal is to have a consistent process, consistent system for onboarding, yet individual teachers' needs will vary from building to building. How do you bridge that gap? How do you provide what teachers need per individual school, but also realize I have a process and a system I want to be able to run at scale across all of our schools.
1: Yeah, that's great. So part of the, the part of the way that we manage that is by engaging those school teams, right? So if I'm just gonna use Douglas Middle School, if I'm looking at Douglas Middle School and then I'm looking at Wedgewood, two different zip codes, different needs, but those school teams are sitting down and identifying what are those basic needs at their individual school, right? They, they sit down and figure out, okay, these, we know we need a community component spread throughout the 100 days. What are we going to do? It might look very different from what Wedgwood is doing because it's focused on what the teachers at their school needs. So that's why it's, it's, this guide isn't one to just pick up and say, I'm just going to copy this, right? This is just an exemplar to give you an idea of things you could do but you school team principal administration support staff teachers students parents need to sit down and really brainstorm what are those basic needs that a person coming in new straight out of college would need in order to be successful and that's why i think it's 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 a powerful tool because it's not a scripted piece that we're saying hey but you need to have these components part of your onboarding at your school. And it should mirror exactly what we have in the guide.
0: So you have guide rails. You say, here here is what the overall experience should be. It's up to you to implement it best within your school. And then your feedback loops to the teacher saying, are you getting what you need? Do you have the relationships? That is your meter at an individual school level basis. Because what Douglas Middle School provides their teacher may be different than others, but you want the overall employee experience to be consistent. And that is, I'm heard, supported, and valued by my team.
1: That's right. And it's focused, those questions are based on those hierarchy of needs. So we should be able, we can gather and measure how well we're doing at either school. So if I'm getting feedback from the staff at Wedgwood that they're, they haven't heard from anyone, then clearly we have missed some of the basic needs, right, the community building. So let's revisit your community plan, right, how that's embedded, what are some things that are missing, so we can then have that conversation to provide the school leaders that feedback so that they can get better
0: with that. So, Michael, what is one action or strategy that you hope all school leaders listening to this podcast take away with them today?
1: Um, I would say one strategy is that we have to individualize the the process, Or, or we need to streamline the process, but we need to allow schools to really hone in on their needs. Because we can't just say all schools are the same because they're not. The kids have different needs. The staff have different needs. So I really would say the strategy that I would want folks to open or to be open about is really understanding that we need a process, right? We need a streamlined process, but we allow for flexibility of our schools to kind of individualize that process to ensure that the folks working in those schools or departments are getting what they need.
0: Yeah, what, what's a celebration that you've had recently? I know we talked earlier about one. Do you have anything else, any other celebrations?
1: You know, I am, um, even though we continue to recruit, um, I'm always in awe of how many teachers we get to celebrate. We just have one of our assistant principals at our middle school or at our high school uh, be honored as the state administrator for of the year. Wow. And so that's always exciting because, you know, they do a lot of work. They support our students. They support our staffs. They support our families. And they do carry a, a huge weight. Um, but that's definitely something that I celebrate. Um, but I also celebrate a lot of things. You know, I was at a fatherhood summit this weekend uh, where fathers are looking for employment opportunities. And so here, one of the largest public uh, education systems in the state, uh, you know, we're there on a Saturday morning trying to make sure people know about the career opportunities in our communities because, again, I'm going to go back to, you know, if you have working families in communities, you have better communities, right? You have better schools. And so it's our due diligence to make sure that folks understand and know about the opportunities that we provide here in Milwaukee Public Schools. And, um, yeah, so I celebrate all of those. That that I celebrate the opportunity to just – Have to have an impact on the community in which I serve and where I work and where I live and where I play. Yeah,
0: that's great. Love that. And if people want to connect with you, what's the best way of them reaching out?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm on social media. So, LinkedIn, Uh, I'm on uh, Facebook as well, but uh, you can definitely reach me via email and I can share that. Um, That's Harris, H A R R I S, the letter M, the number three at milwaukee.k12.wi.us.
0: And I'll include that in the show notes as well. Excellent. All right, Michael, thanks so much for your time today. I love the conversation, love what you're doing to really support teachers in that, that narrowing of focus to the first 100 days and making sure we have happy teachers during that first 100 days because that means they're more likely to stay with us. So thanks for all you're doing.
1: Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: If you haven't yet today, Go thank an educator for all they're doing for us. This has been the Employee Experience in Education podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to leave a review. Thanks and have a wonderful day.